Golade presents the Talking Bollocks podcast. Here we are, episode 54 of Talking Bollocks Podcast, brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, C.O.B. It's me, Harry Flower. And today we're joined by... True Flow. True Flow. Jimbo. Jimbo. <laughs> Jim Sheridan here. Yeah, Jimmy Sheridan, house, yeah. In the house car 54, where are you? Do you remember that? No. Yeah, it was a TV program, Car 54, where are you? It was like the cops car, yeah. So you, you are the cops, yeah? Are we? We've been called worse. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, how's things? How are you? I'm very good. Très bien. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good to be here with you, lads. Um, Appreciate that. You know, young, younger fellas, about three years younger than myself. Yeah. Like that, you know, isn't that right? Yeah, well, look, you said it. You yeah. look fresh. I not look too bad. This is our Christmas episode, Jim, yeah. so we're pre-recording a bit early to give the lads a few days' uh, holidays. So me and Terrence have our Christmas jumpers on. Last minute plants, boys. And the Jimmy fella. Oh, look at him. Look at him. <laughs> looks like Ebenezer Scrooge sitting there. Look at him. I didn't realise I had to dress up for this one. I could go on the gaiety panto, couldn't I? You could. You could. around the corner. Yeah, being a Santi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. Yeah, come here, you're looking sharp. What do you think? Do I look like Santa Claus? Yeah. You need a bit of a beard now. You know, yeah. you're very clean shaven there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. must only did that today, did you? I shaved yesterday. No, I, I, you know, even though like I'm 40 something, like mm. I, I tell you what, 40 something. Yeah, I was, but that was last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I still shave, but not, I've never really grown a beard my whole life. You know? yeah. yeah. Was it not trendy back in the day? Oh, I couldn't have. Like, you know, I take me six months to grow a beard, you know? Yeah, you haven't and got the time. stupid for so long. Mm. A bit like no. myself, Jim, it's not into it. No. No, it's no. If you can't do a full one, don't do a half of one. Yeah. Just, that's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sit down here at the end of the table with me half a bird. Fuck. It's you too, though. You have it down here. Yeah, you well, have you got nice... away with it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't grow in some parts, but she looks So you good. had Gemma Dunleavy on here. She was had, good, yeah. Yeah, Gemma was on. Gem, shout out to Gemma, who's actually, uh, mm-hmm. our tickets are on sale for a full show in the Olympia next April. So get on there and give uh, Gemma a support. Yeah, yeah we right. had her That's on. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> Give her a nice little plug there, yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. She lives down right beside the school I used to go to as a kid. Yeah. No, yeah. she's a great advocate for the area she is. Yeah, she is, yeah. Shining light. Sweetheart. And another friend of yours on it, Liam Cunningham. Oh, Liam, yeah. But he was from Abercorn Road, which was over the bridge, turn left. If you go over the Sheriff Street Bridge and Towards turn left. East Wall. Yeah, towards East Wall, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he's not really from Sheriff Street, he was lying. He's not really, no. No, he's no, trying he's, to sound tough, was he? Yeah, he was like trying to be, you know, tough, yeah. Yeah. He's actually a really decent guy, yeah, Limo. Oh, uh, no, Limo's 100%. He was bang on with us when he was on here. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, he didn't have to come on, but he came on and he gave us his time. He was very yeah. patient with us yeah. as well. And Who was your number one? What was your first interview? Just our two. Just the two of us. Yeah, yeah, just the two of us, yeah. And do people listen to you? Yeah, you'd be yeah. surprised. <laughs> but they were not right, Jim. But they were not right. I don't know how it really works, the podcast world, you know? Yeah, well, this is what we do. We just get people in and we don't call it an interview. We we like to have a chat with people, you know? Yeah, so yeah. As I'm sure you're aware, it's just very free-flowing. Yeah, There's nothing yeah, really off yeah, limits yeah, between yeah, us yeah, three now, yeah, you know? Yeah, So uh, we had another good fella on there a few weeks ago. We had Roddy Doyle on. 
Oh yeah, he's good. He's Kilberic way, isn't he? Yeah, but mm. he was he was a character. A good crack with him. Yeah, yeah, he's funny. Yeah, yeah. Now he's very very witty as yeah. well. So yeah. we've had a, a, a good range, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we said we mix her up. We throw Jimmy in there and see yeah. what he, he's all about. See, well, you'll I'm have to laugh at you. now. Ah, well, you've you've been doing all right so far, Jim. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we're gonna get into it. We'll <laughs> yeah, into it. Uh, we don't have. Jim, we do a thing, right? They're called zingers, right? We don't know why they're called zingers, but that's how it goes, yeah? And it's just a would you rather, or yeah. an either or. Yeah. So, do you put chocolate in the fridge or the press? It's things fridge. like that. In the, in the fridge, fridge, yeah. Yeah, fridge. not a tooth left. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what you do. And do you prefer king or tato? Tato. Oh. I'm a tato man myself. And here, the biggest one of them all, Jim. Yeah. The listeners love this one. Yeah. Now, it's very important, and you have to be honest with us. I'll try to be. All right. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> <laughs> is your confession? Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Do you piss in the shower? Yeah. Look at him. We respect that. Jim. You know. Yeah. Look. But what I do then is I stand aside and let the water wash it down. Yeah, of course. Yeah, down of the course. drain. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is where it is, Jim, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... We don't have results from the previous week's singers because these are pre-recorded in advance, yeah, yeah. as you can see. Christmas jump up here, the tracks your bottoms a bit yeah. last minute, but so look, <laughs> here we are. So, I have a zing up this week. Yeah. It's not great, Jim. Yeah, we're, at, we're doing this for 53, yeah. 54 episodes yeah. now, do you know what I mean? Over the yeah. year they're doing this, Jim. So, do you prefer the yellow snack or the purple snack, boys? Very, very good one, that is. The, yeah. the yellow snack or the purple snack, what? Do you know the bars, the you snack the bars? bars. Yellow, I never eat purple, it must be. Yeah. You only know the purple ones. You don't yeah. know the yellow ones. No. See, do you know what happened there, Jim? You're going posh. You're very Hollywood. class you are now. Yeah. I got about yeah. Sheriff Street. Yeah. I remember you saw always ask the actors as much as a bottle of milk. That was the big question. Where they're from. Yeah, like the actors never knew about how much a bottle of milk was. Yeah. Because the people bought it for them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question. Good question. We might start doing that when we get to the yeah. A-list names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're all going to say they don't have a clue because the yeah. people go in the shop for them, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. That's how it works when you're at the top. Do you yeah. people go in the shop for you? No, I go to Tesco myself, you know. Yeah, still yeah. Out Actually, yeah. Cardline has sent me a picture with him earlier on. Out shop of value in... Don't know where it is, but it was a shop I value somewhere. He bumped into his auntie somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, where is it? Don't know, might be looking or something like that. Mm. Having a clown, mate. Listen, I should have yeah. came a bit more prepared with that one. Well, but yeah. Does she know? <laughs> Your auntie lives in Balbriggan. Yeah, so I it's doubt, close enough. I doubt she's doing a shopping in Lucan. <laughs> she walks there, she walks there. Oh, yeah. right. Jim, did you not turn the phone off? The phone's over not? there charging, Jim. Come here and I grab a fire. That's probably 50 cent on the phone. Tell him where he is. <laughs> <laughs> There's only 2% on this So it's not going to be Just stick it on silent We'll put it back on charge for you Yeah, yeah, okay Stick it on silent Yeah, yeah. Wait, Could you do a podcast on silent? Could you have a person on silent? Could you just go click When somebody's talking bullshit And put them on silent? Oh, then we'd never have a guest on, Jim Because you'd have to bleed and mute all our guests You know what I mean? Because it's called talking bollocks What do you think we do? Yeah <laughs> But wouldn't it be good in life if you could make just mute broken? somebody in real life? Oh, that's that's the world that we hope to live in, Jim. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get me? Where were we at before? The we snacks. were rudely interrupted. The purple snacks. The purple snacks. Yeah, no, yeah. You went went to Hollywood. Forgot yeah. the yellow snacks. It is what, what it is. What are the yellow snacks? I don't get it. The bars. The, the yellow oh, snack bars. You get well, them with a cup of tea. What's oh. the flavour on them? The isn't the purple one like a waver? Yeah. It's more a biscuit. It's a biscuit in that way. It's like a bar of chocolate biscuit, yeah. the thick yeah. uh, yolk. Is it not? Is the purple one not similar to a toy meal? 
No, 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 I have that complacency. I used to eat the purple ones. I have to tell you that the yellow ones are the, the yellow ones are the little square ones. The oh no, yeah. the yellow one. I'd pick a yellow yeah. one over a purple one, Jim. Okay, I remember that from me back in future. Yeah, now yeah, when you're doing your shopping now, when I'm doing me little list of on a movie, you know what I need. Yeah, it won't be M and M's. What do they call yellow, that? <laughs> what do they call that list what all the actors and all give before they go oh yeah I don't know the bullshit list but I know right. what you're and talking about putting like grapes and random shit and all on it like, yeah. yeah then people have it too handy in life Jim yeah, yeah. With the, I'll help, this, I have to have this or else I'm not going on set and all like, oh, and when you're rich you don't have to pay for nothing I know which is mad isn't it Jim good, yeah. Did, that's how the rich stay rich you get rich and people give you things for free yeah, yeah that's exactly right well, people they'll be throwing tantrums and all I have to have water at this temperature and have to have that, like, oh, give her over, will you? Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. But I've won for this week because it's Christmas themed, yeah. and I didn't know this, but apparently, this is a big deal. So, if you have kids listening, you might want to skip forward about two or three minutes. But apparently, what people do with their Santi presents is presents from Santi, they don't wrap them, and then presents from your parents, they wrap them. I didn't know that was a big that was a thing because mm. to me, you just wrap every present, and if it's from you, you mm. put your name on it. Mm, so, yeah. like, two. Whatever, till Adam from that. You know what I mean? Do you do that, Jim? Did you used to wrap the Santi presents? Ah, we wrapped the Santi presents. Yeah. 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 Mm. I'd yeah. wrap Santi presents. Yeah. Now. I'd, yeah. nipple. I'd wrap Santi presents. These are important issues, you know. Well, this is what people are asking us yeah. to do. Well, addressing the nation. Because when he comes down that chimney, like, he, you know, he has to have the wrapping paper there ready, doesn't he? Mm. Ready to go. Yeah, you have to leave it out for him, like, mm. you know. So you, your Santi presents are wrapped? Yeah. He wraps them when he comes down the chimney. Yeah. Yeah. But I leave the paper out for him. Yeah. With a note. But the next day they'd be wrapped. I mean, yeah. This yeah. house does, doesn't wrapping. do wrapping. Yeah. Wrap your own bleeding present, Sandy. Speaking <laughs> of wrapping, you know a good few rappers, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you? I do know a good yeah. few rappers. <laughs> he was yeah. sitting there rapping before this podcast. I had a pretty young book and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Easy E. Yeah. <laughs> I love Easy E, by the way. I think he was the best rapper in NWA. Yeah, no, he definitely was. Yeah. Well, Ice Cube. Better rapper than Ice Cube. Yeah. Yeah, he probably was. Because he had that lousy voice that was right, just penetrate everything, you mm. know. Yeah. But Ice Cube would have been a better writer. A better writer, yeah. But yeah. Easy E was. Um, I knew the fellow who managed Easy E and, uh, and Dre and Ice Cube and the whole lot of them, mm. you know. Yeah, man. It, did you ever see that film, Straight Out Compton? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is that your man now with that? He, he's in it, but he didn't want to be in it. And yeah. he, didn't, he had a row and he sued them, right? But I asked him, who was the hardest to manage? Easy E, Dre, uh, a load of yeah, others, you know. He yeah. had, and he said, no, Van Morrison. Van Morrison, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was the toughest to manage. That he ever had. Man, you wouldn't think that, would you? But that's probably what I was saying. They're all very spoiled and they're all, you know, all these celebrities. Yeah. They're all too yeah. untitled. That's what it yeah. is. Whereas yeah. them lads who were in NWA, they had nothing growing yeah. up. So, yeah. yeah. They're humble, you know what I mean? Yeah. Coming yeah. from the ground up. So, come here. You said Easy is the best rapper in NWA. Yeah. So, who was your favourite rapper of all time then? Easy. Notorious. Yeah. Yeah. You're in. Like Not Tupac? I think Notorious is more real than Tupac. Yeah, I yeah. Mm. I thought Tupac was very political. Political, yeah. yeah. His mother was a lunatic, you know. Yeah, mm. in the Black Panthers and all. Yeah, yeah, mad. But I love Notorious B.A.G., you know. Yeah. Well, that yeah. can be uh, Jim Zinger for the that, weekend. That, that's good. That yeah. could be yours, Zinger, Biggie or yeah. Tupac. That's it, Biggie or Tupac. Who yeah. do you want to go with? 
you know. Yeah. Have you ever gone with Calvin? That's a tough one. It is a tough See, one. I think that Tupac is very intellectual in comparison. To very intellectual. Yeah, yeah. He's know? very deep. Yeah. Whereas, I suppose, you'd, you'd party to Biggie songs. You wouldn't party to Tupac songs. Not too many, no. Not, well, not too many of them, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, he has one or two you could, but... Very serious. Yeah. Mm, I suppose I, I find myself listening to Biggie Smalls more than I find myself listening to Tupac. I think as time goes on, that'll be the truth of it. Yeah, you know. You know? Sicker than your average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, what are you, Terrence? Well, who do you... Who, do you like rappers, yeah? I do. Of course, yeah. 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 Biggie or Tupac? It's a tough one, isn't it? It is. It's a it tough, tough one. I'd love to be able to sit here and just go, oh, Biggie, because yeah. of this, but I can't. Uh, That's why I had to think, who do I listen to more? And I find myself listening to Biggie you know, more. I'd probably listen to Tupac more, but like you said, you mm. couldn't party to a Tupac song. Like, there's one or two, of yeah. course, but not many. But not many. Mm. So, I, boy, I can't pick. I can't pick. Yeah. I can't. I, I, Eminem. Eminem's brilliant. Mm. Very, yeah. very good. But as well, very serious. Like, very serious. Like, there's not a song where you go, yeah. and if they're not serious, right, they're just slagging people. And, yeah. and they're a bit of crack, you get me? He's brilliant, like, but yeah. like, it's all very. Serious, do you yeah. get me? Well, I, I, I like listening to Eminem if I'm kind of on the headphones, but at a gig, every song of his seems the same because you can't really hear the words, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing about rappers at a gig. They don't really go song by song. They kind mm-hmm. of mash them all in yeah. and get on. You get like a 30 minute mm-hmm. burst of 40. Are there any songs. good Irish rappers? Yeah, we had a good Irish rapper on this podcast, actually. Now, he's not a big name. He's only on the rise. Wall fella, his name is. Okay. Yeah. I'll show you him after this, Jim. Very, What very about good. the fellas from the north with the mad heads? Kneecap. And, yeah, kneecap. Yeah, they're going to crack. I mean, do you know what? They, they could be a potential future guest. Who's kneecap? They're the lads. They do wear balaclavas when, yeah. when they're rapping. They, and You know. They rap. They they're use, really they rap good. They rap in Irish as well. Yeah, they yeah, rap they in, rap in Irish. Irish. They're uh, very... And Will Gale got all good? Neil. Yes, yeah, Neil. Baffling, mate, I probably. just got two Neils there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neil of the Nile of the Nine Hostages. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's the thing about the lads up the north. They they rap in Irish, you know, it's all about they, they take the whole political divide and they, they make a comedic kind of yeah, you know, like yeah. they address it that way. Yeah. They uh, they sold out the Olympia there a couple of weeks ago and everybody in the place was mm-hmm. rapping in Irish with yeah. them. Brilliant. Brilliant. Amazing. Was, yeah. Great and, and they fight they had a row with RTE. Yeah. I don't know what it was about, but good idea to have a row with RTE. There's no such thing as bad publicity, Jim. <laughs> well, I think there is, but I think it's like, um, <laughs> there is such a thing as bad publicity, but from the perspective of somebody who gets no publicity, there's no such thing as bad publicity. That's you know a valid I mean? point, that, Jim. You know, but if you get a lot of publicity, you just don't want any fucking publicity. So all publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, well, it depends on what market you're in, doesn't it? It depends what what your game, you know, what your game is, you know, what your... um, like Daniel Day-Lewis, he doesn't like publicity at all. Yeah, he's very uh, introverted to him, isn't he? No, he's like, forget publicity. Like, I already have a headache. Did we start yet? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, we're going to go into it, Jim, because mm-hmm. that's stuff we want to touch on. But what we do with all our guests mm-hmm. is we, we like to strip it back and go to the start. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move on to what, yeah. they, what they do. So what's your name and where do you come from, Jim? Uh like Silla Black, remember uh, Blind Day? That's what this is like. Yeah. Well, my name is conflicted because... Do you want to just move into the mic? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Jim. 
Hey, that's pull the seat forward and sit back as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Home, Jim. So yeah, put your feet up there. So here's the thing. I'm going to answer that in a way that you won't normally get an answer. Brilliant. On my baptismal cert, it said James Colmus or James something Collins. Share. I don't know. On my baptismal cert, my name is supposed to be Collins. On my birth cert, my name was Sheridan. Right. Yeah. On my baptismal cert, I was born on the 5th of February. On my birth cert, I was born on the 6th of February. I liked having a schizophrenic personality from the start. <laughs> uh, when you ask me where I'm from, I, I, I keep thinking of that Yeats poem, I carry from my mother's womb a fanatic heart, great hatred maimed us at the start. But I actually didn't have what Yeats called great hatred, little room, which is his description of basically the Irish in a kind of colonial situation. I kind of, if I came out with anything, it was great love, I'd say. And I'd say that was the result of my mom, uh, Anna Megan, who, um, who, was born on the 8th of May, 100 years ago this year. And on the same day, her mother died on the 8th of May. So you can reckon her mother died giving birth to her. So, and I was doing this documentary on Sophie de Plantier. People were asking me why I'm doing it. So sometimes I would say, I think because my little brother Frankie died and he was taken too soon. And then I really thought it through and I went, no, because... My mother thought she killed her own mother and she blamed herself for it. And I think when she had her own child, which was me, she kind of exercised the guilt, yeah? Mm. But it left me with a kind of passion for people who are wrongly accused. And I would say that relates a lot to Ian Bailey. Yeah. And would I say 100% that he didn't do it? Uh 99.999 circulating, I would say, as you can't rule anybody out ever, but I think it's farcical, the case against them. And, you know, everybody, you know, they go on about this, that and the other. But if you, if you stacked it up, it's kind of hard to believe that people could take it seriously. That's my belief, you know. Now, I know that's a hard, long answer to who are you. Yeah. And where you're from. <laughs> yeah, and where you're from. So, I, like, I come from, you know, Dublin, um, and who I am is what I do. Yeah. So what I do is I've made movies and stuff about people wrongly accused or people who might be deprived at birth, you know, like Christy Brown or, you know. So I think my passion is for very, very definite things, you know, that have kind of influenced everything I've done. Mm. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but am I right in saying you're from Sherry Street? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So what was it like growing up there? It was good, you know, like when we started out, I told you I was from the same street as Liam Cunningham because he lived in Abercorn Road. We lived in 12. I think he was across the road in one. He's a bit younger than me, so I didn't really know him. We moved from Abercorn Road when I was young to Seville Place, which it, Emerald Street connected Seville Place to Sheriff Street. So I went to the local school. Um, 
we had a lodging house. So, you know, a lot of the kids were very tough in Sheriffer and um, at the same time, some of them weren't tough at all. Mm. And it's a kind of weird combination that everybody thinks Sheriff Street is tough, but sometimes not, you know, sometimes the opposite, like they wouldn't know how to stand up for themselves legally or stand up for themselves in court or, you know, be able to get to the right school. So it depends what people call tough. But sometimes I would have to fight guys, you know, who were from Sheriffer and I was small and uh, and I knew I couldn't win or sustain a long fight. So I was a ruthless little bastard when I got into a fight. I would just go for the juggler straight off and I wouldn't get into a fight unless I thought I had a 50-50 chance of winning. Mm. Well, that's what they say. It's not about the size of the dog and the fight. It's the fight and the dog, isn't it? It is, but, you know, sometimes, like, I remember one guy just gave me a slap in the face and he was about a couple of years older and bigger than me and I just couldn't win and that really got me crazy, you know? But I don't think that's happened ever since, you know? But I've been in lots of situations where, uh, you know, a fight could happen, you know, and... um, you know, I'd, I'd always be very cold in a fight. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't get, I don't think I've ever got into a fight where my head was steaming and I'm just throwing punches. I'm kind of the stand back guy and like, okay, who's here? Where's that? Who's behind me? Who's in front? Process or all. Yeah, before I engage, mm. you know? Yeah, not too emotionally invested in it. Because that's when you get hurt, isn't it? And you yeah. let your emotions get the better of you and, yeah. and you look like a right agent. That's true of every part of life. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's true. You know, like, yeah, there's no way you can't let your emotions get the better of you if you fall in love, right? Fall a point. Yeah, so that's when you're going to get hurt if you do the wrong thing or fall in love with the wrong fella. You mm. know what I mean? Wherever you are into. That's, well, yeah. I'm not claiming that you two guys are gay or straight or whatever. Mm. But I only said that as a joke. Do you know what I mean? Of like, course. <laughs> <laughs> because we all tend to... Like, I remember back in the day, you know, when we did a show called The Gay Sweatshop in the project. And again, it's my mom. My mom put up all the... The the Gay Sweatshop was a theater group from England. And we put them on in about the 70s, mid-70s. And we got the best review ever. If you wanted a review to fill a theater, we got a review from a fellow called Des Rush in the Indo. And he said, worse than necrophilia. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus. And could you get a better review? <laughs> like the phones didn't stop hopping. Yeah. The minute that hit the paper, everybody rang that theater, right? And we sold out by lunchtime. And then he kind of said that the grant should be taken away from us because we were doing all this gay stuff. And the, the lesbians were staying with my mother and the gay guys were staying with me. And my brother Peter had met the group in England and put them on. But it was a big, big moment in Dublin, you know. It goes back to the no such thing as bad publicity, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, there's no... Really extreme publicity cuts through, you know. You know what I mean? Like, I did another show when I was about 22 or 21 in the Aula Max. And and when I went to college, you know, I think I was probably the first kid from Sheriff Street to go to college. And I did a show with Neil Jordan and my brother Peter in it and 
few other guys, and uh, it didn't finish till about one forty-five in the morning. Started a but I put the audience up on scaffold so they couldn't get down. <laughs> so when the reviewers got down, they ran to their to the Irish Times and to the other ones. And the one guy in the Irish Times said, psychedelic madness. And <laughs> we were full by lunchtime again. Yeah. <laughs> so like sometimes you just need that, you know, thing that breaks through, you yeah, know. Definitely. And you know it when you see it. You mm. know, like you can't make up true passion and true shows and you know mm. um, but I think what happened in, in Ireland was that the, the what used to be the theatre you know and kind of say like working class or protest theatre or you know psychedelic theatre all moved into cinema yeah and the theatre was left kind of with you know middle class or you know people who made a, a living out of making applications to the arts council or, you know, people who knew how to do that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think one of the things with schooling in Ireland is like nobody's taught how to deal with the law. Mm. Nobody's taught how to deal with legal solicitors. Nobody's taught how to add and do their sums, their, how to do an Excel sheet on how to break even, how to budget. They're taught fucking Latin or something, Irish. It's like a crazy system. No, Algebra is very good. Yeah. Mm. The square and the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the squares and the other two sides. The Pythagoras? <laughs> That's exactly it. You got it. You know Pythagoras used to kill people. Come here. Them Greeks were into a load of mad shit. No, they were mad because numbers were really important to them, you know? Yeah. They had to get it right, you know? Yeah. Mm. That's why the pi, you know, the number pi oh, in yeah. French, yeah. they couldn't deal with that. That didn't exist. You start whacking guys. Yeah. Don't be talking to me. They were like rappers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we going down there to fucking kill the guy talking about pie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so come here, Jim. Yeah, on. How many brothers and sisters have you got? I have five brothers and one sister. I had five. I have four now. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then what was your family life like and school then? Coming up. Um... My family life was I was the spoiled one, you know. You're the oldest. Yeah, I was spoiled, like, beyond spoiling. You've no idea. My mom, I was, because uh, her mother died giving birth to her. So when I didn't kill my mother, she was like, this guy's a good guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, the light was shining on my head, you know. Yeah. And, and it was difficult for my brothers and sisters sometimes to deal with that. And my father. But I definitely self-confessed spoiled brat. Mm. And is that the real reason why you think that? That what? Because <laughs> you're saying they couldn't process you and your dad and whatever because you were actually spoiled. Yeah. And you really believe it's because you were the firstborn. And... Yeah, I do believe. I believe in, you know, really primal things, you know, that they happen for, your, you know, reasons and you can't... You can't explain emotions and, mm. you know, everybody has a different place in the family. So my sister was next. She obviously had her place. She was like the girl, Ida, sweetheart. She helped my mother. Peter was next, named after my dad. So Peter and my dad occupied the same space of, why is he called Peter? And I'm not called Peter, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then you go on 
Johnny was a musician, really good, funny guy, you know, done Long John Jump Band. Then there was Frankie who died, and then there was Gerard who came after Frankie, obviously, a few years later, and then Paul, and Paul became a printer and still is. Yeah. But like... Gang is. Gang of us. But, yeah. but maybe 10 lodgers as well. Yeah. So you're talking about seven kids and 10 lodgers and my mother feeding them all. And then not only is she doing that, but she's working in the North Star at night. Yeah. In the bar. And my dad's working in CIE. He's working at the dog track and he gets the ladders out at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so the chaos is there. No, no, just complete work into the bone, you know, lots of jobs just to keep the kids going, you know. Yeah. And do you reckon that's where your determination comes from? You're seeing how hard your parents are grafting. No, my parents gave me a lot of stuff. Everything that you get from your parents is a plus and a minus. You know, you get a plus, but there's a minus side to it. So the plus was I saw their kindness and their social responsibility and their love for the community. And that's a plus in my life, but it's also a negative in that I fucking just should be a lot more selfish and ruthless. And you don't need to be always just for the community, you know. So it's a plus and a negative. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. get you. Right. What was school like? Cause you, Where did you go to school? I yeah. went to school to the nuns first. And I hated the first day. I remember I cried like all day because, you know, I'm like the spoiled boy being left with these people in hoods. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not staying here. And obviously that was traumatic. Then the next four years is nothing. You know, you just don't, you don't remember it. And then I went to the boys' school in, in uh, Seville Place, basically the Sheriff Street School, which was completely crazy school, you know. I had Brother Frampton, who was a decent brother, and then a lot of maniacs and a lot of maniac teachers. Mm. Um, we had one fellow who was, he used to get his, he'd write on the board at the beginning of the year, um, a thing of beauty is a joy forever. And then he'd open the door and his missus would come in and stand at the top of the class in our beehive in short dress and he'd say, Mrs. Such and Such, let's say his name was Nolan, but it wasn't because I don't want to say. Yeah. He'd say, welcome, well trained, say hello to Mrs. Nolan. And then we'd all say, hello, Mrs. Nolan. He'd go out. And then he'd he'd say, now, boys, I do this every year. So you all get out around the line and everybody gives the other boys six slaps. So the first day was taken up with 48 guys slapping 49 guys, you know, like mm. just... And he'd write down who made the most cry. And so the one guy who made the most cry became the official class slapper. But I, being the little prick of the class, organized a gang to get your man and dump on him and batter him. And we battered him that he couldn't come back to school for a few days. So that was the Sheriff Street in your yeah. And then Nolan was like, the teacher was like, I wonder what happened to O'Brien. Lads, why, why is he not in school today? Mm. And of course he knew because that happened last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when your man came back in school, he gave us all 12 slaps. Yeah. And cut, cut. I'm on RTE and I'm doing a show and it's called Motley. And the week before I'd been out 
and I, with a director who got drunk, didn't turn up, and turned up at four o'clock on a, an outside broadcast shoot, like with 30, 40 people walking, and just got me to run up and down the Natural History Museum, playing 10, and I was Charlie Chaplin. He filmed her about 45 seconds instead of the 45 minutes that he was supposed to do. And the head of RTE came to see it and was like, what's this, you know? I thought, I'm fired. No, I wasn't fired. Next week, I go on the air and they go, listen, there's not much room left. You know, there's too much time. We have to fill 10 minutes. And I was like, the 10 minutes on the air, like, I, so I said, well, well, they said, I'd live with the kids. So I went, ah, oh, kids, how's it going? Yeah. You go to school, yeah. Oh, good. How's school? Yeah. Do you ever get slapped? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, who got, and they, cut. I went to the canteen and the main guy in RTE, the chairman or whatever he was, came over and he tapped me on that shoulder in the canteen. I looked around and he said, you're fired. And I went, what? He went, yeah, Archbishop McQuaid was on to us. And you asked the kids if they were slapped in school, so you're fired. And that's the true story. I was taken off the air, even though the week before, like, like the director would have been out of the head and a maniac, like, character. But I didn't get fired for that. I got fired because the Archbishop rang up. And that's the way the society was run. Mm. So the church had a big say that. If yeah. the church said... He has to be hung. He was hung, you know. If they, whatever they said was, and that's also what the gay sweatshop was about. It was about the, you know, the guy who did the review was very in with the archbishop, the same archbishop, and so, like, I was a maniac, anti-establishment character because of where I came from, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I'd seen kids go to letter frack, go to Dangan. You know, they'd be pulled up off the street and put in the police car and taken to the court and the judge would say, send them away. And they were taken from their parents and sent to Dangan and let their frack. And they came out of there and started the drug trade. Mm. That's what happened. That's how it happened. The kids who went to Dangan came out as mercenaries. They were going to destroy the society. And the two main drug dealers in the 70s were fellas who'd been in leather frack. So they caused more problems than they prevented. But they caused the all the problems. Yeah. Sure, it's just like a revenge thing then, yeah? Yeah. Mm. The main drug dealers who I knew, who I knew because I knew them through the project, you know, mm. basically went, yeah, I went to leather frack and they abused me and I came out and I said, I'm going to burn the town down. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Mm. Mm. It's a mad one, isn't it? Yeah, well... This is what happens with the, the system, you know what I mean? And like, I think still to this day, back then the system was put in place, but it wasn't put in place to prevent. It was more to punish. And it's only now that's slowly coming around and be like, you know what, we need to put more preventative measures in place. Stop the problem before it happens. You should be fire-proofing, not fire-fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, like that? Yeah. So let's stop the fire from happening rather than dealing with it then when it's burning but everything down. I think down. the other side of it is it's kind of like... Um, they need, yeah, the, the Ireland came out of basically a history of famine. Yeah. So even this related to the story I did on West Cork, but the famine produced a society that was terrified of resources, of not having them. Yeah. The main one being food, the second one being shelter, 
The third one being education. So when you're terrified of those, when the, when the state was founded, that's what they wanted to prevent. So a woman who got pregnant without being married was a terror to them, was a total threat, because how would you feel the child? Mm. So the logic became, it'd be better to kill the child. Mm. Which they did sometimes. Yeah. Crazy. I wouldn't even say killed it, but let the child die, you know. Mm. You know, so because, I mean, the Soviet Union had similar things, but from a different perspective, you know, Mm. from a perspective of communism. And, but it's, it basically all comes down to resources. You can, I think, you can trace most societal things back to primitive food, shelter, heat, survival. But see that way of saying primitive, I only had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and they were saying it's like bred into us and it's probably mm. generational mm-hmm. from the famine that if we open our press and we, we see an empty shelf, we panic. Mm. We're like, we need to go and get the messages, we need more shopping. Mm-hmm. Because he knew somebody who was married to like a Scandinavian and she was able to open the press, the exact same press, and be like, well, there's dinner for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday there. And he was panicking going out to buy messages. It's just, yeah. it's bred into us when we see a gap, we'd be like, oh, we're going to run out. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in other societies, they're made to make deal with make what, what they have. But like, you know what? It's not that bad. We can pull hair and do this. Mm-hmm. But in us, we just panic. Mm-hmm. You know, and it probably does date back to the famine because when we literally had nothing, it's bred into you then. Yeah. And maybe that's, we touch on this a lot. Maybe that's why we're taught, especially in working class, to not rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Like, don't venture out beyond and don't give up what you have. If you have a steady job, you stay with that steady job because mm-hmm. that's an income. Don't Liam actually touched on it in his episode. He was in the ESB, he was fully trained, and then he came home and he told his dad, I'm going off to mm. be an actor. And his mm. dad shunned him for it. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought, look, what you have is great. Don't yeah. don't try and upset that. Well, it was the same with me, you know, because like I was in CIA because my dad worked in CIA and I had a job there helping architects develop plans and then I got a job in a bank you know (laughs) and my dad would be applying for every job that came out so he had applied for the ESB as well and the ESB sent a letter saying you've been accepted for an interview of course I threw the letter away I already had a job in the bank I didn't like the one in the bank and I knew the ESB would be worse or could be worse Anyway, my dad found out the letter was thrown, got another letter, and then wrote saying, no, I'm so sorry that, you know, I didn't turn up for the interview. I apologize and all this. And he got me another interview. Yeah. And I went to that interview, and by the time I got, I was fed up, and I was a bit of a brat. But when they started interviewing me, they were like, well, you didn't turn up for the first one. I was like, yeah, and I got fed up. I was like, oh, well, whatever. And they were like, do you want the job or not? And I was like, not really. Mm. And they got really mad at me. You know, because it was their life, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I came from... You can take from, that hat off if you want, Jim. If it's annoying you, you can take it off. No, this that's totally fine. Um, I hope you can edit it. You know, editing, you know, like in a movie where you yeah, edit, I has know. the hat, he doesn't have the hat. Yeah. Has the hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to edit in movies when you change the circumstances. Mm. Not so much in sound. Mm. Mm. Um, Jim, real quick, so... What was it about the ESB? She said you didn't want to walk there and you weren't enjoying the bank. Had you got ambitions to go off and do other things in your head? Yeah. Or was it them specifically? No, I just wanted to do theatre. And you knew this? Yeah. From how young? 15. 
And how does a young fella from Sheriff Street go and have a dream of being doing theatre and directing? And well, you know, that really comes from my father. When Frankie died, he started a little drama group and he put on plays, you know. And I suppose he was my big influence. And he was a very kind man and very socially aware. And he did the drama and he did the old folks and he did the, you know, disco and everything, you know, the bingo, two fat ladies. Click, click. Click, click, click. And all those numbers are done so that you'll remember the numbers, you know. It's it's so that there's a there's a point to the the code, you know. Yeah. Mm. But in the in the he he start and the first play he did was his version of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Now it didn't have as many words as The Tempest, and it definitely didn't have as many big words as The Tempest. But it did start. We all got thrown up on an island, and later they stole this idea of my dad's in America and made her a TV series called Lost. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. I don't Never. think they were aware that my dad was the first to this story, but our Lost was on an island. But the island was a little stage in Castle Avenue in Clontarf where we first put it on. And he walked out on the stage and he went, this is my island in the sun built to me by my father's hand. All my days I must sing in praise of your forest water, your shining sun, <laughs> oh, island in the sun. So we're all singing that. Anyway, then we talked for a bit. I don't know what we talked about. And then the end of the play was genius. It's called Curtain Line. You know, you have to have a line to bring the curtain down. So we're all on stage, all the girls. He's the king. But we're just following him, pe mere peasants, right? <laughs> And then he looked out to, into the audience and he said, look, look, the sheep. And somebody went, like a sheep, meh, whatever it goes like. And he said, no, 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 the sheep with sails were saved. And that's the court. <laughs> Big clap. And uh, it, it, it was really interesting to me that the very first thing he did, he wrote it himself, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he, he so he had a hankering to be, a writer and a director. And I think children take up the unfulfilled the desires of the parents. They instinctively are trying to figure out what the parents really want, and they want that. So my dad really wanted to be a writer and, and a director, and, and I just wanted to kill him and take his job. <laughs> so I threw him out of the drama group and started my own shows. Like, I did the maddest shows you can... I was 19, I did... Maybe 20, I did Dr. Faustus, which was a 16th century play, you know, Christopher Marlowe. And the actual truth about it is people would say that Shakespeare is far superior to Marlowe, but only, and this would come back to Biggie and Tupac, in the world of intellectual, Shakespeare's superior. But if you're actually just trying to say and get people to understand what you're saying, Marlowe might have it over Shakespeare. Yeah. Mm. He didn't have the complexity in the words, but he, he his words hit the back of the theater and there was no doubt what he fucking meant. Yeah. yeah. And Shakespeare hit the back of the theater and it's kind of like, you know, more like, oh, 
I have to be really smart, maybe Leonard Cohen, you know. Mm. And so the, the 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 I learned a lot from that and it was about a fella Faustus is a guy who sells his soul to the devil, you know. Which kind of is kind of what a lot of the blues musicians like the the best version of it in the modern world is uh, Snoop Dogg, you know. You know that song, as I look up at the sky, my son starts tripping, it teardrops my eye, my body temperature falls, I'm screaming, trying to save the dog, pumping on my chest and I'm screaming, Lord, I see demons, dear Lord, I wonder can you save me, I can't die, my boo-boo about that, my baby, I think it's too late for praying, a voice spoke to me, slowly starts staying, bring your life to me, I'll make it better. How long will I last? Eternal life and forever. Will I be the G that I was? Mm. I'll make you much better than you ever dreamed of. So relax your soul. Let me take control. Close your eyes, my son. My eyes are closed. Murder. Murder was the case that they gave me. It's a genius song. Like genius. And that is kind of feeds into the you sell your soul to the devil story, Faustus. And that's what's happened in a deep way with every artistic endeavor because a lot of art is about God fucked the world up. Can we stop the world? I'll recreate it and I'll do it my way because he fucked up. Mm. So all art possesses a demonic charge. Does that make sense? Yeah. It possesses the other world. Are we the black arts or are we the religious arts, you know? And I think that's really interesting about it, you know, that it's it's kind of dangerous, you know. And you'll always know somebody who's any good because he'll be dangerous, he'll be edgy and, you know, she will be and everybody will be, oh, I don't know about that one. You know, yeah. if you don't have that charge, you don't have much. Got it like out there, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Is that why, so you got into directing and uh, screenwriting and stuff like yeah. that. And I think you're the only director who's ever worked with Daniel Day-Lewis three times. Yeah, yeah. Is that why you talk to him so much? Because he's one of those characters. Well, Daniel is like a very um, extreme person who will just totally commit, you know? Mm. Like every other actor I ever met plays, and not every, but most of them play a bit of a game of like, I'll do this, do that, and wherever I go, how will I develop? And he's just like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Uh, I'm not sure I want to do it. But when he commits, he'll never back down and he'll never let you down. So to me, that's easy to work with. Like, that's like being in a gang. That's the Beatles. You got somebody who has your back, you know it. You don't fucking have to think about that part anymore. Mm. Whereas if you're in a thing of actors just doing it for their career and all, it's like you never know what they'll do or where they'll go. You know, so with Daniel, it's just pure commitment, you know. And kind of that's what you need, you know. Mm. What's he like? Is he a head case? No, he's very, no, he's very straight and very normal, but it, only in a world where abnormality is the rule. Yeah. Like the abnormal world is, you know, everybody thinks so. Like how, how do you act? Well, you tell the truth. Like it's fucking simple. How do you tell the truth? It's very hard. 
Mm. How do you turn the truth under pressure when everybody wants you to take the easy way out and lie? It's very hard. How do you stand in a room and everybody thinks, well, what's this fucker taking so long doing? What's he mean he's living the part? And everybody's kind of sniggered and, and, how, and you just keep truth to yourself. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's easier to compromise and fit in. Mm. Is he the best actor you've ever worked with? Yeah. That's easy, you know, because he's kind of like his own thing, you know. He's kind of like, he's kind of, you know, in his own space that's hard to describe because it's kind of mad. Mm. You know, it's, it is mad in the sense of the level of commitment that he brings to it. There's a lot of actors that I find, you know, and I think that the trouble with Daniel, if he's going down the wrong road, he might be going down the wrong road and he won't come back. Mm. You know, he's just going to commit. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's commitment and passion more than just the talent for acting. Yeah, everything. Okay. Is, yeah, commitment, passion, truth. I mean, you, you put that in everyday life then. Yeah. Well, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. More than talent. Well, a lot of things about acting, people think it's a weird profession. It's actually a very good training ground for lots of professions because you're put under pressure, you're put in social situations, and you have to pretend you have to lie in order to find the truth whereas when the legal world which you guys wouldn't understand i don't think <laughs> in the legal middle class world it's all about telling enough of the truth not to be caught out in a lie mm. yeah so what they're doing all the time is telling you a truth that in fact hides a lie mm. and that's a very disconcerting world to be in when you're gig is to be in a world of lying to get the truth but if you're in a world of telling the truth to hide a lie that's a different place yeah. and that's why I can't bear the legal system it's very difficult mm. I've a really in, well I'm interested so much of this and I know everybody else will be I, I'm assume, I assume you know what's going to come here yeah mm-hmm. how does the phone call come that Jim Sheridan from Dublin Sheriff Street to be specific mm-hmm directs the 50 cent get rich at train. How does that happen? Well, that's easy. I know Bono and I went to a party with Bono and Jimmy Iovine was there. No way. Fuck yeah. yeah. That's some yeah. bike tree on paper. Yeah, I tell you that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like to go to the after party with them tree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, Jimmy Iovine is Interscope. Yeah. And he started Beats with Dre. Yeah. And he was U2's manager and he knew 50 and he was going to do a movie because Eminem had done a movie and 50 was going to do a movie. And I was like, yeah, I meet 50. And then I met him and I was like, I know him. He's from Sherriford. He's the same guy. You know? yeah, he's one of the boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very straight, very hard work and very, yeah. He, he'd be like Daniel in that, like that he'd have your back, you know. Hmm. And what was it like the first time you met him? Was it not? Because on paper, that's just a complete mismatch. I know the the, <laughs> the granda and the young rapper. <laughs> yeah, but like, what was it like the first time you met him? It was good, you know. It was very easy. Um, we got on straight away. Um, he knew. He, that was a weird fucking movie, I have to say, because it had something in it that I still haven't been able to understand I'd say or totally penetrate during that time working with 50 cent I seen something with you 
an interview done. Yeah. We are talking about chum money on, on the yeah. set and chum money around. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Well, that you know, that was a very interesting thing because 50 was like Robin Hood type character, you know. He he'd go to the he'd go to the Bronx and if he was going out, he'd get like nine hundred single dollars, you know, ten tens on a one hundred dollar bill or you know, and have a grand or something, and he'd throw it in the air, and every kid would go mad nuts. And he loved doing it. And we were away up in Toronto for, you know, weeks of shooting. And by the time we'd finished there, like, it was different to 50 because he wasn't so known in Toronto as he was in the New York and all. So when he got back there, he was really happy, and he, he threw them. I said, 50, you can't do that on the set. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we got to the set, and this was in a recce, you know, going around to check it the first time. So on the set, he threw the money, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, like there's 6,000 people around now, cops trying to keep them back. And and I was thinking, you know, somebody got hurt and all, and I got really pissed off, and I was trying to. So I went to the guy on the set who was a policeman. I was establishing something important, which can manifest itself on a movie set very quickly. Like like the guy who got his head cut off with the helicopter. He was an actor and the director got blamed. Or like Rust where Alec Baldwin shot the gun and Alec Baldwin got blamed. And that's a very suspicious one, the Alec Baldwin one. Um, I would be wondering who, how that bullet arrived in the chamber mm. and I think Alec Baldwin has suffered a lot because of it and I could give you my own conspiracy theories as to who I thought I think we'll save that for another episode yeah <laughs> you like an old suspicion heard and there. I do but yeah. on the set when I'm there if I'm thinking the kids are going to get hurt I'm 50's going to get himself in trouble and I'm saying to him 50 you know like if some kids get Injured, you're going to have to pay millions. Yeah. Mm. For a thousand dollars that you're throwing yeah. away there. And uh, so I went to his manager and complained. I complained to the head of the studio. And then I went to the policeman, Ray. And Ray was, I said, Ray, if 50 does that again, arrest him. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely and grand. So anyway, he goes up and he throws the money again. I lost the head, you know. I was like a mile away from him. By the time I got up there, kids were being... Every and everybody was going to me, Jim. Do you want to, you know, like the the first AD or sorry, the production manager was like, Jim, will I talk to him? And I'm like, no, if you do that, I lose power. And so that's it. I I tell the story before I went in and I said, fifty, what the fuck's going on? Are you a fucking gangster or what the fuck? You know, are you are getting? You know, kids can get fucking hurt. So fuck you. And nobody believed. All his crew were like, what the fuck. And the guy beside me who I stood beside, I'd see him take out a knife on the fight backstage. So I was making sure that's where the sheriff comes in. I had me, I was right beside his right hand in case that got out of trouble, yeah. <laughs> out of control. But I do that, I would do a thing like that. I would just go, you know what, I'm in all the way here, you know. And 50, I said, so fuck, fuck all this fucking crap, you know. And I left the caravan and 50 came after me and he said, Jim, nobody talks to me like that. And I said, well, 
too bad or whatever. And he said, no, no, it's good that you talk to me like that because nobody ever tells me that and I do wrong. And then he said, so you're right, and I apologize. And I took a piece of paper out with all the people that I'd gone to, and I said, you have to apologize to all of them. <laughs> and he took the paper, and he actually did apologize to everybody. And then he'd go, Jim, nobody, you're great, whatever, and, you know, you're me da, because I didn't never had a da, and you tell me the fucking truth, and I really admire that. And I was like, and then we became, like, so close, you know, and... Even to this day, I could ring him up and get tickets or whatever I want, you know. Um, I haven't talked to him in a good while, but he's a straightforward guy, you know. He's not stupid at all. And he doesn't let, he doesn't let, he's kind of, I would say, even a little bit like myself, cold in certain situations where he'll appraise it as actually what's going on instead of what, oh, do I look stupid? He won't bother about that. He'll be like, am I really being threatened here? No. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm only being spoken to, so that's okay. And this guy is not out to... So he'll appraise it all, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, and uh, it was great. I mean, I loved it. I was, you know, would get to do... Be in the mixing desk with Dre and 50 and fucking everybody, you know? That's crazy to think about. Yeah. This connection you had with 50, did you have this with a lot... Of the actors you worked with, or was or was there certain people who you actually didn't have a connection with? You just had to walk with them. There are a few that you haven't got a, that much of a connection with, you know. Um, but <clears throat> a movie set's different to theater. Yeah, you know, a movie set's much more dangerous, much more visceral, much more on the money. So you need that. You need that with your main people on a film, you know, mm -hmm. and you kind of bond like a family. And what happens actually is on a movie set, everybody starts telling dirty jokes because it's a way of bonding yeah. immediately. And you kind of get all these stupid jokes that like you're going to fucking, you like, you know, it's like being a 12 year old in the playground, you know, yeah. fellas are telling you it's like stupid jokes, you know. But it's like nearly like an initiation type exactly, of thing. Like, yeah. Hey, well, football yeah. teams. Yeah. Things yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. So like respect. A nice breaker kind of thing as well. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 And you think that's like you were saying that Fifty had that respect for you for going up to you and all. Like, yeah. Do you think that's something that you need you need to have when you're working with people, especially like huge names? You yeah. walked with some huge names. Well, there was another actor on that who should be nameless, but who he only praises me now. But he was a pain in the head because he was always wanting to act, live the part. Like he thought he was Daniel Day, and he could be, but like he was crazy. Like, and we'd say, "Well, where we pick you up?" And he go, "Like, what do you mean?" And I said, where, the crew need to know where to pick you up. You go, I'm a gangster. I wouldn't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're only playing a gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're playing. A, so when we came to one scene, there was the girl was to be, it was where he's, you know, going to do. And he, he had to attack the girl and he choked her. And she went red. And when he finished, he, she said, Jim, that really hurt. And I said, don't hurt her. And he's like, listen, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just being me. I'm like, Okay, but but don't be you and don't fucking hurt her. <laughs> yeah. And so he did it again. He hurt her worse, right? So I said, I got 50. And I said, 50, this needs, you know. So we arranged that we would rehearse the next scene in this big hall, you know. So I, I stood in for 50 and it was a fight with 50. 
So, of course, as soon as they grabbed your man, I kicked him in the head twice, you know. And he went, what was that? And I said, I was just living the part. Yeah, method acting on Yeah. <laughs> and I did it again, and I kicked him worse the second time. And I think he got the message. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How does it come about <laughs> that you brought the Sheriff Street with you? Yeah, that's what I wanted oh, to ask. Oh, that was good. He was playing the point. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to do a little bit of them just around where I grew up because I had, I was doing a, a you know, a, a, an EPK, a, you know, a publicity thing that we had to do like a, an hour long documentary. And I'd been to hit where he grew up and I was taking him where I grew up. And, you know, he was great in Sheriff. All the kids loved him. He fucking did everything for them, you know. Yeah, because yeah. I remember that, Jim. This would have been before social media. So, like, a rumour just went around, like, 50 Cent was down in Sharava today, and you're yeah. like, that, there's no way in a million years that's had to happen. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like, the people had pictures of him, and mm-hmm. there is footage of it. There's footage yeah, of it. You can look yeah, up yeah. the footage. Him, yeah. but not just him, all his mates and all, you know what I mean? Yeah, all his, yeah. like, crew in New York, oh, yeah. all down there. The G unit. Yeah, the G unit. <laughs> the J unit, the gym unit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I seen, um, I seen you won the award then as well. If the award, yeah. the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. What was that like for you? That was good, but, you're, you know, I was really happy to get it. It's always good to get something in your own hometown, you know. Um, the way it usually goes with awards is fellas are dying to get an award, like from IFTA or somewhere, and then they might get nominated for IFTA and they mightn't even win. And two years later, they get nominated for a BAFTA, which is in their head, bigger than an IFTA, and then they won't go back to the IFTAs. That's too good for the then kind of thing. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. The head's going, I can make it, I can make it, I am good, I am good, you're going up a hill. And then you make it a bit, and then the little voice inside the head is going, I'm always good, I'm always good, I'm always good. Mm. I've made it, I've made it, and then you hit the ground. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard to keep in your head a balance especially for people who've been pushed back all their life and haven't got anywhere. And as soon as they do, they become monsters for a few weeks, you know? Mm. So Payback uh, hey, time. Yeah. Like letting let loose then. The shackles yeah. are off sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you were nominated. How many Oscars were you nominated for? Uh, I don't know. Six Loads. or something. I think, yeah, myself, it? I think six, yeah. And what's that like? It's good. It's good. Um, that's like the highest there is, isn't it? Like, yeah, I suppose in the film world, yeah. Well, you know, I still think there's a few movies I could do that I um, could get nominated for again, you know. Uh, I'm not sure the Oscars are as big as they used to be. I think the last year was a bit of a disaster because they didn't have really an event and nobody watched yeah, it. Yeah, the spectacle wasn't yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, but it is a kind of a bar to set of, you know, Things that are good, but there's many things that have never got to the Oscars that are amazing, you know. Yeah, true. But yeah. I suppose it's a good it's a good benchmark, isn't it? Wasn't that the yeah. thing about DiCaprio? Like mm. he'd never won an Oscar, but like the, the films mm. he'd made were unbelievable. Yeah, the yeah, performances yeah. he put in. Well, I was so lucky that I think the first three movies I made all got nominated, and I don't know if that had ever happened before. And it was kind of unique that, like, I don't even think it happened with an American director or writer and so 
for an Irish writer to come out kind of like being at the finals of the World Cup like three times in a row, it's kind of weird mm. yeah. and unique. And and I think, I don't know if the circumstances could arrive again that that could happen again because I don't know if the film world is constructed in that way anymore, mm. you know? Jeff, I think that you should have won one. Yeah, I think I should have won one for my left foot, if anything, because... You know, I think that year we were beaten by a movie called Driving Miss Daisy, which is good in its own right. But I think you, my left foot has a unique thing, you know. Yeah. But it was our first time out, so we were happy to get the few acting things. But And then <laughs> when I did In the Name of the Father, the studio called me in and said, listen, Jim, this is our big movie of the year, you know. I was like, oh, that's great. That's great. I said, have you any other things? Because you always have to ask that. Yeah. Because if they have another one, you'll get shunted. Yeah. You know, and they went, no, not really. They said, they've said, there's one movie, but it's black and white. It's three hours long. I don't think anybody's going to see it. And I said, oh, okay, can I, can I go see that? And they were like, oh, sure, it's on this afternoon on the lot. So I went to see Schindler's List. No way, like, <laughs> Jesus. And I mean, I left that going, wow, you know, kind of knowing that that, that would win. Did Spielberg direct that? Yeah. And they didn't bother to tell you, oh, there's a, a film that Spielberg's directed. They didn't think it was going anywhere because it, it was partly to do with the fact that it was a Jewish story and they were kind of studio. A lot of the people in it were Jewish and yeah. they didn't want to big up their own story. And they actually didn't think that it would take and be as big a hit as it was, you know. Mm. Was it, did you have a goal? Like, was it a dream and a goal to win an Oscar? Because you don't really seem pushed on the other. Yeah. Well, you know, no. The funny thing was, because the first movie I did got all the nominations for the Oscars, it, it kind of got rid of it very quickly, you know. And um, I suppose I would have had a goal, but I never thought that I would get nominated for one because I'm doing Irish movies, little Irish things, you know. Just back to the Oscars real quick. And Calvin asked mm -hmm. you, do you think you should have won an Oscar? And you said, yeah, for my left foot. Do you think you should have won it because of the movie that one of you thought was better than that? Or did you think... You should have won it when it came out. No, that's the weirdest thing. You know, I never thought that I should win when it, you know, when I'm making it. But I did think when I was filming it that Daniel Day's performance was amazing and that he was going to win something that, you know. Did he win the Oscar for that? Yeah, he did win yeah. the Oscar, yeah. yeah. So it did win. Right. It was just that Jimbo didn't win, you know. Yeah. And, and but, you know, on that night it was a big win. And had I, you know, had you won, you'd kind of might be satisfied and say, well, I won, so I'll retire, you know. <laughs> but he was going around as if he actually had a cerebral yeah. palsy, didn't he? Yeah, he was. What was that like? Amazing. You know, like in the level of the first day of rehearsals, I was supposed to win. I didn't know how to rehearse. Because mm. like, let's say you're doing a play, you're doing, I remember, remember they did that movie Hunger. Yeah. And Liam Cunningham was in it. And Liam was in the big scene that everybody talked about, which was one take of a 20 or 30 minute scene and they knew the words and they didn't cut. And everybody was talking about how amazing it was. Well, in the fucking theater, you can be on stage for five hours and you don't cut. Yeah. And you have to know five hours worth of, you know, talk. Dog, yeah. So in the movie world, you never know, need to know more than a minute or something, you know? So it's just such a different world. And I didn't know how to rehearse that because it's like, okay, so 
Somebody who doesn't know the lines will just shout it to them or whatever, you know? It's just a different world. So when I went in on the first day, I wasn't sure. And then Daniel was painting with his foot. And I left him. And he was painting the portrait. And I came back at lunchtime and he was still painting it. And I was like, wow, he's dedicated. And then I went to lunch, came back, he's painting. And at six o'clock he left to go home after painting for another four hours. So I went home and I got the brush and I tried to paint with me. Ray foot, never mind me, left. And I got a cramp after about five minutes. And I was mm. like, that guy's nuts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> He's been doing this all day. So you can imagine the level of cramps that would be in your foot. Mm. Well, he wouldn't give up. That's the kind of the type he is. You know what I mean? Mm. He'd just keep going. He wouldn't even tell you that it was hurting him. And that's it. So he like he won the Oscar for that. But, for what he would judge on that would be that if he's to understand the person in pain, he has to go through the pain. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about DiCaprio because he never won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And the role he won the Oscar for was The Revenant. Yeah, yeah. And there's a scene in that where he dissects a horse and sleeps yeah, in it. Yeah. And he actually did that. He slept yeah. in a horse carcass. Yeah. And people, that's how dedicated he was to the role. But then if you're saying this is what Daniel Day-Lewis is doing back... Mm-hmm. What I told you odd years ago now. Yeah, it's yeah. what you have to be doing early these days. Well, you don't have to be doing it because it's like, you know, you're making it up or it's... You have to be doing it because it teaches you something mm. that you need to learn. To understand. You yeah. know, to understand, yeah. Yeah. And actions in movies are much bigger than in plays. In the theatre, it's, it's a lot of talk mm. and there's not so much action. Whereas people are known by their... Character is formed by action. It's what you do forms your character. It's not what you say. Yeah. Like the person who you don't want to follow is the person who says, do what I say, not what I do. Mm. You know? Yeah. So the church, you know, we're always like, you know, be pure and good. Well, we do what we want to do. Mm. Yeah. You know? Which do you prefer? I think what mm. I'm gathering off, yeah, would be that theater would be tougher. Yeah. But you'd prefer the onset of, yeah, a movie. Yeah, I just the movies were made for people who are good at a lot of different things, but maybe not great at anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a jack of all trades kind yeah, of thing. Kind of thing yeah. Yeah. You How know, long did you do it for? What movies? Theatre. Oh, jeez. You know, I did theatre from I was 15 till I was 40. Fucking hell. Mm. So 25 years before I did a movie. Yeah. And that would have been the first movie yeah. then, at 40. Yeah. Your brother was more big into the theatre though, wasn't he? Peter was more into the theatre. He did one movie or two, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was more into theatre, yeah. Yeah, Peter actually came in to us when we were in school and he gave a talk and he was slagging Danny Doyle. Yeah. Because he casted Danny Doyle, but did he cast him? What, what was the film? Backstab Boys, is it? Not Backstab. Uh, Barstool Boys. Barstool Boys. Backstab Boys, your cousin's book. Yeah. There's a plug for him. Barstool <laughs> Boys, yeah. Uh, did he do that in a the theatre first before? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Because he was telling us that he cast Danny Doyle and in the, the character he plays, the shy, timid boy who gets like abuse mm. and stuff like that, doesn't stand up for himself. And the fact that he's gone on to portray this like gangster cockney, yeah. <laughs> don't mess with me. Yeah. Anytime he bumps into him, he always reminds him of that he gave him a start and the, the role he gave him a start in. Mm. So not to get ahead of himself. Yeah. I just thought that was gas. Yeah. Mm. Danny Doyle, I like him as an actor, uh, and I like him as a person. I think he's very typecasted as an actor, though. Yeah, maybe now. I think he could do more. I have a big, 
have a good feeling about Danny. Like, I loved him when he was in Barcelona with Peter. He was great. He was electric in that movie. Mm. He was the best thing in it by a mile. And have you got something up your sleeve, Jim, that you're, you're talking about doing? Because you, you hinted at mm. the idea that you could make a film that's Oscar Woody. Mm. Oh, yeah, well, man, you know, you always have to have that. But, I, yeah, I have a movie about the North American Indians and an Irishman. Right. Yeah. So, And that's all they're going to give us. That's an exclusive, well, is it? <laughs> you know, the difficulty, lads, is that when you sometimes, if you if you have an idea inside and you have to get it down, if you talk it out, you talk it out, and you're not able to write it, you know. you, you know. But I'll tell you why it comes about. I went back to where I came from. You asked me where I came from. And our family, I think, came from Cavan, and more specifically, Muller County, Cavan, which le- could lead people to say, I have a Muller head. <laughs> anyway, Muller County, Cavan, and I go in the bar and I'm like, are we descended from Richard Brinsey Sheridan? And they're like, no, they were prods. They were, they were well off. They were the landlords. You know, you're, you're the, you're the something, you know, the Muller Sheridans, whatever it is. Mm. And your grandfather was owned the bakery and whatever he drank it or whatever, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, and he said, no, no, you're related to we Phil. And I was like, who's that? They said, we Phil Sheridan, Sheridan Square, New York. You're related to him. And I was like, wow. And then I looked it up, and he was the guy that invented the phrase, the only good Indian I ever saw was a dead Indian. Mm. He was <laughs> against the Indians and part of the Indian War. And I didn't like that idea, so I decided I'd research the Indians and the Irish and do a movie about it, and that's where it came from. So it's going to be in Soifel. It's going to be a lot in this Well, one. it might be a bit heavy, but, yeah. you know. Well, we look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before we wrap up, Jim, right, because mm-hmm. I'm blown away by your knowledge for rap music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you met many famous rappers other than 50 Cent? I met a good few, like Eminem, I said, Young Buck, uh, Dre, uh, oh, I met a few like who were you know conscious rappers, you know, like I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, I've met most of them, you and know? did you meet them all through Fifty Cent? Around that time and before it, you know, I I used to know them in New York as well when I was there in the eighties. They were a lot of Jamaican guys, mm. um, but I loved it from the beginning. Like the very first rapper. Was a, there was a guy in Trinity College, and he was a, played a harmonica, and he was in many bands in Dublin, and he used to do Oscar Brown Jr. and Oscar Brown Jr. was the original rapper, mm. like he was he told stories through rap, you know, they'd be like things like uh, signifying monkey, you know, it's like a song that goes, "Say signifying monkey to the lion one day, it is a great big elephant down the way." Going around talking, I'm sorry to say, about your mother in a scandalous way. You talk about your mother and your grandma too, and I don't like what he said about you. Signifying monk. So he wrote that. Then he wrote things like Bitterman, which is brilliant. Bitterman goes, Bitterman, Bitterman, here's a real good bad about 15. Her great grandmother was the Dahomey Queen. Just you look at her face, it sure ain't comely like Lena in the Bible. She's strong but homely. Bit him in, bit him in. And it was about slavery. It was, and it was a slave auction. He was doing a rap about a slave auction. And then he did I Was Cool, which I've 
sung a few times, like, but it's like, you know, I've always lived by this golden rule. Whatever happens, don't blow your cool. You got to have nerves of steel. Never show folks how you honestly feel. But I think the rappers came out of, you know, a tradition of speaking their history. A bit like the Irish in that, like a lot of the rebel songs are songs about history and mm. trying to keep a hold of something. And the rappers are very like that. But I think the rap is amazing lyrics. I mean, I think all the, like I love the woman rapper. I met, talked to her a good lot. She she couldn't stop talking. She, what's her name? The Fugees. What's her name? Ah, Florden Hill. Yeah. Hell, yeah. The Miseducation is a great album, don't yeah. you think? Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a great rapper. Yeah. Um, do you still, do you listen to rap still I today? Think, I like Modern Party rappers. B and all that. Really? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. yeah I tell you, the Jim. Yeah. Rid of the WAP. Come on, yeah. I'm not really into the the Cardi B, but I into other yeah, Cardi rappers. B is good. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I'm into all of them. I like just the whole idea. You like of Kendrick rap. Lamar. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think he's very uh, like a modern day kind of two pack. Yeah. He is. Yeah, he's very conscious. Very conscious. Very deep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of his albums are brilliant. Kneecap, kneecap, kneecap of the way forward. Right? Well, I think I could work with kneecap if I met them. You know. Yeah. Well, look, it could be something down the line. Uh, I just have one more question. I don't know about you. Uh, Give us the highlight of your career. The one moment you look back and you go, right, that's the one. Someone who's never met you, Jim, what would you say to them? That's the one moment in my career. I think at the Oscars when Daniel and uh, and Brenda Fricker won, that's kind of was a great night, you know. Um, that was great fun, yeah. That's your highlight. That's the yeah. highlight. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, yeah. lovely talking to you guys. Okay. <laughs> you can't get out quick enough, Jim. No, 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 it's not that. It's just I'm starving. And who's that fella on your picture? Who's that? That's Leonardo DiCaprio in oh, yeah. uh, Django. Oh, Django, yeah. Yeah, did you ever say it? So we got a Do shot you like at that, that movie. Yeah, it's a great film, brilliant yeah. film. Jamie Foxx is brilliant in it. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino was an animal. What do you think of him? Great writer, yeah. Brilliant fella. Yeah. Um, his dialogue is unbelievable. The only thing yeah. I don't really like is. The films he makes about history and he puts a twist on it. So like the Sharon Tate one in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, the killing and Hitler or in an Inglorious Bastards, things like that. I'm like right, if he kind of stemmed away from that, you know what I mean? Don't try and recreate history. Mm-hmm. That's why like Pulp Fiction's brilliant. Pulp Fiction's an absolute yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, but um, it is. Yeah. yeah, but I think recreating history is what I said earlier. It's that's what every movie's doing. Mm. But if within the movie are recreating history, actually. It kind of defeats the purpose of the first purpose, which is to say to God, I'm recreating the world. Because mm. people kind of know it didn't happen. And although it's very strong, like I was supposed to do a Hitler movie, right? With a fella called Ron Rosenbaum. And we went and met everybody who knew Hitler in Munich. And then Ron said to me, but I said, well, what, what's the fucking story of the movie? He says, we kill Hitler. And I was like, when? He said, before he gets the power. I was like, that's mad. Mm-hmm. And then Tarantino did it. Yeah, yeah, but that's—I don't mind recreating history, but it's when they rewrite history that that goes a different way than it actually yeah, did, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, lovely to talk to you, Jim. You're a absolute legend. Okay. Legend. Thanks very much. Right. Okay. okay. Take Good. us out, Johnny. Bell. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Light app.
Step Naka.